Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. I'm saying this part slightly slower because the man to my left has a mouthful of chips. Let's try it. Join me as Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Hello, how's it going? Yeah, that was great. Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions, also joins us. Glad to be here. A man who, best we can tell, is not gorging himself on tortilla chips all the way at Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where the pastor of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. There's a bag of M&Ms here that's massive. Okay. And it's going to get pre- hit pretty hard during this recording session. Excellent. You there mean you like go. eat it or physically it's punching bag size? <laughs> <laughs> and like, oh. you know, sometimes like fighters will hit sand to toughen up their knuckles. I imagine a pretty big bag of M&Ms would actually be be quite hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. All I know is it's been a good while since we've all been together on the show. Yeah. And I, as far as I know... Shows came out that didn't involve me or Jed, and nobody was under protest. I'm a little hurt by that. Yeah. Well, there's a few things about that. One is... You I, abandoned us, so I don't know. that You get to have feelings. Mm. Well, you know, we discovered a whole lot about, like, who is essential. Sure. You know, sure. Who's not essential. There's a phrase in the corporate world. It's not meant to be judgmental. It's right. just... A phrase of non-essential personnel. Yeah. Uh, and what I said was, come on, Matt, be cool. Right. You know. Right. He's like, time to dump these losers. Yeah. It's like, you know, I don't think, you know, besides and so forth. But this podcast has a real good union, and I just <laughs> couldn't get through the red tape. Historically, no one has ever described to me as essential. That's really... Right. That's, <laughs> that, that doesn't happen often, i got to be yeah. honest, so... And on that basis, I declare an emergency. Fascinated to find out how it's on that basis. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that it's really connected to what we were discussing. It's not at all. But here's the emergency. Uh, a lot of people are just on pins and needles, waiting to hear about our year-end uh, uh, atonement uh, thing. Right. Yep. We, we have s- had literally no messages. Here's what happened. People are... Literally nobody clamoring. No one asking. No one remembered it happened. It's the end of the year, and we said, you know what we're going to do? Day of Atonement. Right. And that means... According to Glenn, he invented that idea. Sure, yeah. I came up with it somewhat on my own. TM. I, <laughs> I may have slightly ripped off both Stephen Colbert and the Bible. Right. But In that order. Here's what ha- in that specific order. Here's what happened is I said, let's have an uh, atonement, y'all. Right. Which means you apologize at me for all the things you did wrong, and then I forgive you graciously. Right. Okay. Well, who specifically were we looking to to atone? Well, really, anyone who had wronged us. Sure. Well, was, the list is extensive. Who were the who were the top? Who were the heavy hitters? Well, the the if you go right to the top, that's obviously Joel Osteen. Right. Okay. He knows we, what he did. We've had a beef going from day one yeah. on this podcast. Vicious feud. Okay. And uh, because he has a number one podcast, yep. and that's just rude. Sure. Okay. It's like the Hatfields and those people who don't know the Hatfields exist. Yeah. Right. 
So we're like, you know, but we decided on all on our own. He didn't make a move. We made a move. We right. said, you know what? Let's squash this beef. We decided to be the bigger man. We decided to be the bigger man. We decided to be cool about it. Absolutely. Totally Christian. Yeah. I mean, we're like in your face with how Christian we are. Which is the right way to do that. Absolutely. (laughs) So we uh, created Day of Atonement. And so we put it out there. You call in. Yeah. Apologize. Apologize. Take responsibility for your actions. Because you know what you did. Yep. And then it's over. Then it's over. We squashed this, and yep. we're all going to have what you call unity. Right. Okay. That's what we wanted. Sure, absolutely. Well, Jed, now you're in charge of the call center. I, I am. I know you've been sleeping in there and waiting day and night. Absolutely. Because he had to midnight, see? Absolutely. And then that's how we, you know, so we weren't sure kind of in what way he would contact us. Right. Or whatever. Right. So give us the update. All What's right. the latest? Because it's the time has passed now. It's expired. Right. So right. How did Joel Osteen contact us, and in what way did he express a, a, a desire for atonement? Okay, well, let me. I'm seated here at the official Say That Call Center mainframe. I'm going to go ahead and log in. And I'm going to bring up. It's odd uh, that it makes a noise like that. It's a very complicated it machine. Let me, let me, it's, a, it's an IBM from kind of the mid 90s. Oh, so there's, there's a lot of creaks. To play a game. <laughs> let, me, let me bring up central database. And let me bring up these records. And let's see. So the grand total for number of apologetic phone call messages is um, okay. Add the two, carry the one. Remove the spam call. Zero. What? Yeah. <laughs> Who could have foreseen this? Yeah. Are you telling me we tried to atone with him? Yeah. And he just blew us off. Dude, we gave him the opportunity. All so right. He doesn't even care. It's like or know that we, we did exist. our we 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 came to, to the to the table right on this. We A did. table he is not aware exists. We said, you know what? You contact us. This thing is over, and we're gonna, you know, because people want harmony. Right. They want. They don't want to see everybody having yeah. beefs and conflicts. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we. That's said, why all your better movie plots revolve around people getting along. Right. So we said, let's, you know, but how's he gonna just not even acknowledge it? We know what, bro. I think it gets even worse. How is that? Because he didn't just ignore it. Okay. I think he's. I think he's on the offensive. I think he's on the attack. Oh my goodness! All right, I'm. I'm about to tell you a tale of woe. Okay. A story that will chill your blood. Whoa. Okay. Here's what happened. So me and Hallie. All right, we're taking a little road trip. This okay. is why I was. I was gone on our last recording. You know, got to go visit the family, and I've got family in in Alabama. Um, oh, so it is a tale of woe. It is, it is a tale of woe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to say roll tide? I don't yeah. I don't really know these things. Just, just if you're ever in Alabama, you don't know what to say, just yell roll tide. So we, we go and we visit the family. It's lovely. But we figure, you know what? We're basically all the way to New Orleans already. Why don't right. we swing through there? And, you know, we'll you know, have some food and we'll hang out and then we'll, we'll head on home. So we do that. So, you know, it's a, it's a Sunday night. It's about 1130 midnight. We've checked into our hotel and we go to just a little, you know, place, uh, you know, serves food to get ourselves, you know, a catfish po' boy. 
you know, know. really you know, soak in the local flavor. Yeah. And uh, and this is right off of Bourbon Street, you right. know, so it's it's not really a place that's known for its Christianity. Right. And we we walk into this place, you know, you know, some people might describe it as a bar, but right. uh, they serve food. That's why we're some there. Some might call it a den of iniquity. Some might call it a den of iniquity. I just call it Catfish Po' Boy Central. That's right. that's why I'm there. And we walk in, and they got they got three TVs. You know, uh, one of them's got ESPN one, and one's got ESPN two. Right. But that third TV, oh my goodness! What happened? Staring me right in the eye and grinning that smiley little grin. Joel Osteen represent. Oh my. He tracked us, Glenn. He tracked us all the way to New Orleans to Bourbon Street just to send a message. Via the medium of television. Said, I'm watching you. I got my eyeballs on you. Which is real creepy. Fixed on you. Pretty much the opposite of the way television normally works. After we tried to atone with him. Yeah. He's just putting it in your face. Right in my face. I can just get on this TV and and rub your nose in it personally like to you and your face on the TV. This is what I'm talking about. It's like wow. sure you can run, 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 go to New Orleans. That's fine. Right. You can go, you can go across the country. I find you. Wow, I find you. I just got a chill down my spine. Yeah, well, that may have something to do with the fact that Jed was leaning in pretty close there. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's about zero degrees outside. Jed but gets still, into, yeah. Jed gets into both, the physical performance. When, both Jed, factors. When you were watching the TV, did did Osteen say something about having a certain special set of skills? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will pay real weird. money <laughs> for anyone who knows someone who can do a good good Joel Osteen impression to read the Taken monologue. I'm pulling it up right now. Jed can do a nose theme. While Jed pulls that up. All you have to do is sort of a corn pone accent that is not Texas. So so we've pretty much given up on atonement now, huh? Well, that's the thing. We said, we'll atone. We we open the phone lines. He doesn't call in. He's mocking us and following us creepily with the thing. That's it. Beef is on, dude. We're at war. And we we tried to atone. And now we got double beef. So is the new is That's the right. new character Jostein? This is Jed's Osteen character. Yeah, right? yeah. Let's let's see. Yeah, here here, here we are. Here we go. I don't know who you are. <laughs> I don't wow. know what you want. Wow. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you, I don't have money. <laughs> well, that's where this falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. <laughs> skills I've acquired over a very long career. <laughs> skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I won't look for you. I won't pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. <laughs> All right, Glenn, say emergency off immediately. We're not that, topping that. That is a, the most oh, arranged and beautiful thing I've ever heard on this podcast. Because <laughs> that is him. That's him. That's yes. how it would Fantastic. be. Wow. If anybody out there who's a skilled video editor would like to take that and sync it to either the Liam Neeson scene or to Joe Osteen's preaching, I don't care which one, pick one of those. That was, that was fantastic. Well, on that basis, I declare... Beef is on, emergency off. That is also going to be the title of Glenn's mixtape in 2016. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. And when Glenn puts that 
rap battle mixtape out. It'll almost certainly be through the medium of Bridgebox. So don't you want to go ahead and sign nice. up now? Yeah. Right? Just go. in case that happens. Nice transition. Right? Yeah. It's going to be a whole new year for me. Probably not. <laughs> Bridgebox, you've heard us talk about it, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. You have $8 a month to support the ministry we do here in Chicago. That uh, helps us hire some part-time folks to do ministry. We actually had our first uh, deacon, we were the, folks, the part-time folks we had at Bridgebox, preach Woo! last week at the Bridges Work Corner. This brought the word, did a great job in front of the brothers. We've all, you've also helped us do things like get people bus passes to job interviews, get people into shelters, get people winter clothing. We have right up... Right outside the door from where we record here, a second round of hats, gloves, and winter socks that we're able to give out to people. We're able to uh, acquire a lot of that stuff thanks to your support through Bridgebox. So support what we do in the jailhouse, on the streets. We also allows us to uh, give Lee some money for the amazing work he does in the music on Bridgebox. Supporting everybody on the podcast, only $8 a month, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. All right, let's jump to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch. The first one comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, I was speaking with a non-Christian friend of mine about Jesus, and she seemed indifferent about the need for a Savior. She didn't seem to think much about sin, and hence didn't know why we need a Savior or why sin is bad and such. Is it necessary to understand sin to understand Jesus? How do I proclaim the gospel to someone who does not see a need for it? And Lee, why don't you start us off here? Uh, thanks for writing in. Uh, I will start us off. And the the thing that first thing I would say about this, um, looking at your question, especially this piece about is it necessary to understand sin to understand Jesus? I think there's a lot of stuff about Jesus that you can understand even if you don't think you're sinful. Uh, you know that that Jesus was good and that he was a servant and that he was compassionate and that he had a love like nobody else had. There's a lot of cool stuff that 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 a lot of people are on board with. Uh, about Jesus and don't have any problem with him whatsoever. But it's the sin thing that is kind of the heartbeat of what Jesus came to do. And so, you know, for someone to really understand who Jesus is and the relationship that he wants with them, they do have to see that they have a need to be rescued, that they have a need to be forgiven, they have a need to be saved. Here's the thing is, you can't talk anybody into that. Um, yep. You you don't want to be a street preacher, and you don't want to be, um, you don't want to just be you know, uh, uh, you know, following people around, telling them how awful they are, or sinful they are, or anything like that. I think for a lot of people, for a lot of believers, it's especially young believers, it's a confusing th- idea that if I don't share the message of the gospel with every single person in my life, then I am somehow abandoning my post, or I'm somehow denying Jesus, or something like that. One of the things that you want to keep in mind is that Jesus went after people who had a lot of needs and who knew them. Th- those were the people that Jesus that responded to Jesus the most. Those are the people that he went seeking and looking for. There were a lot of people that he didn't, you know, that he his ministry did not have an impact on. He didn't change their minds. He didn't, you know, they they he didn't debate them into a, a scenario where they believed in him, even though they weren't you know they they didn't see their own need or whatever he went after needy folks people who had a lot of problems people who knew that they were struggling people who wanted to be rescued people who were ready for a change in their life and those are the kinds of people that you really want to be looking for if you want to be involved in this kind of ministry but if you have somebody in your life 
who doesn't see their need for a savior, and you don't just beat down their door and tell them about the gospel and stuff like that, you're not abandoning Jesus. You're not denying Jesus. You're that that's not what's going on here. What I would suggest is you've got everybody in your life. Okay, some people are ready to hear about the gospel. Awesome. Some people are not. The way I would look at this is I want to go after the people who are needy, who are struggling, who are poor, who have a lot of problems with the message of Jesus. The other folks that are in my life, whether it be coworkers or neighbors or family or whatever, I want to be a servant and I want to be loving to those people. Um, if they want to talk about stuff, I'm open for those conversations. If I really love them and I'd love to see them come to know the Lord, I'm praying for them about that situation. If they ask me about my relationship with Jesus, I will go ahead and put my wrong and sinfulness right out there in the front and talk about how the Lord rescued me from that. And that might open up the conversation a little bit more. But I think if if we go at, you know, my goal is to make you see your sinfulness, it's going to come off a whole lot like a street preacher. So I would go for the people who know that they're needy, know that they need to make a change. And the other folks in your life, your goal would be to serve them and to love them and to be hoping for a conversation on down the line when they get to a place where they realize that they need to make a change in their life. That's a really Mm -hmm. fantastic place to start. And Glenn, maybe I can get you to speak to, it's a different angle on this, but the good news is that it kind of comes out in the same way. And one would be that people might tell you, and they'd be right, that it's not that anyone doesn't understand that they're sinful. They may not have that word to put to it, but everybody knows they have problems. They're just lying about it. They're covering it up. You know, so well, it's, you know, Sally doesn't really enjoy going out and partying and all that stuff. She's just lying to herself. And that's probably true on some level, but uh, you actually, the approach is the same, and it's yeah. not to focus on the sin. Absolutely right. Yeah, we're we're not uh, really just picking up on what Lee is saying there. Uh, this isn't about convincing everyone that they're mm-hmm. sinners first, and then uh, they're trying to sell them on Jesus. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit convicts people. Uh, that's something that Christians, eat, for some reason, forget really early on. Well, I, I'd like process. to help. Yeah, I, I know you would. And the thing is. The Holy Spirit convicts people, uh, and, and what that means is is he gives them he, a sense of conscience. He works through their conscience to show them uh, where they're wrong. And um, so that means if someone's doing something wrong and they tell me it's right or okay or it's not a bad thing, uh, A, uh, I don't believe them, <laughs> and B... I think um, they're trying to convince themselves by convincing me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but you know, there there are times where I'm not sure about something, but if I tell you and you really buy into it a lot, yeah. you react really big. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that is a thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you know, it's so kind of a sales said, pitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm trying to. To to you know to, to to you know put it on the back porch and see if the cat licks it up here. You know, well here's the thing is, um, it's important for me to have a reaction that where someone says, well I think I'm basically a good person, and I could say, sure sure you are. Uh, I, be, I, I we should all worship you because you're so perfect. But here's the thing is 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 you kind of you aren't. You know you're you're not a perfect person. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. We're all human. That's that's what that's about. When when we use the word sin, we're talking about something 
outside of the bullseye there, something that misses the mark. And we all do that. That's just an obvious thing. Uh, what you're saying is you're not measuring yourself against the bullseye. You're just measuring yourself against other people and saying, if I grade on the curve, I'm actually a pretty good person. I would agree with that compared to all these other people in the world. I mean, compared to Stalin, you're fantastic. You know, <laughs> Sure. <laughs> That's absolutely. Uh, but compared to a perfect God, you, you, you don't measure up. There's, there's something missing there. Uh, so I think clarifying what we're talking about helps a lot and being gentle within that and, and, and what have you. Um, uh, and recognize people lie to themselves about this stuff all the time. Pastors, if there's one thing that suburban pastors tell me the most often is, these people come into my office and sit down and they all say the same thing. I don't think I'm a bad person. <laughs> and, and my question to, to them is, what do you say about that? Well, how do you respond to that? And they say, well, I don't know what to say. I just say, well, the Bible says here, they're all of sin and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. So, you know, yeah. I Bibled you. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes, the, particularly if it's somebody you know and you love and you have a little bit of relationship with, it's better just say, oh, honey, no, no, you, yeah. you, you, you're you a sinner. You super are. You super are. You're, you're, are, you, are you a good person in general? Are you a good citizen? Are you a better person than me in, in, your, in your character and your behavior or whatever? Absolutely. But you're, you have You're a giant schmuck. Yeah. So <laughs> let's, let's be clear here, you know, that kind of thing. So some of that is saying I'm not going to buy into mm -hmm. this this thing you're hallucinating yourself on. But but ultimately, I agree 100% with Lee. There are a lot of people in your life that are hungry right now yeah. that you're not talking to while you're fixated and trying to drive this point home with somebody who's just not ready. Some people, they have to get to a certain place in their life where they can right. admit stuff, and that's okay. We pray for them. We plant sure. the seed, and when they're ready, we'll be ready. Meanwhile, let's feed the ones that are hungry. I think that's a fantastic uh, way to button that up. And, Jed, maybe if I can get you to maybe try to unpack for us this phenomenon that both Glenn and Lee are speaking against here, but it tends to happen, which is when people kind of start sharing their faith, when people do it for a while, for some reason they think you get a degree of difficulty points. Yep. Hmm. And that's it's just as Glenn's talking there, I'm thinking about, you know, kind of pastors and stuff. I'm thinking that's enforced in such weird ways, but so far across the spectrum of Christian stuff. It's the when you write the book, you're right about well, you know, Billy was an atheist and his wife brought him to church and he hated church and now <laughs> yeah. he loves it. But even then people are like, you know, you know the guy who wrote Amazing Grace? He was a slave trader. Whoa. He was Whoa. super bad. Now he's super awesome. Yeah. And since we covered more distance, that counts more. Absolutely. <laughs> so you've either got to start sinning to get to the point where I care enough to tell you about Jesus because I don't get feelings from you just kind of being kind of not great and then being saved. Sure. But as as Jed, as Glenn's pointing out right there, if there are people who are hungry for the gospel, even though you don't personally know them or they're not actively angry against the gospel, but neither of those are really factors, and you shouldn't uh, reach out to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, for all of us on the podcast, you know, we, we know people who, they get serious about their faith, they get serious about sharing their faith, and they, they want to tell us about that. That's fine. We're happy to listen. We're happy to cheer them on. And they inevitably tell us about this one person they're going to get squared away. Yeah. I, got, I got this guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna get him saved and sanctified and Holy Ghost filled, 
and then they prepare, they proceed to describe the least interested in the gospel person you have right. ever heard. Right. This, this is their project. This is their target. Uh, is a person who has no interest in anything spiritual or religious, um, and um, is probably years away from having anything spiritual interest in anything spiritual or religious. And when they're ready, will not want to hear about it from this joker anyway. Right. right. Yeah. There's um, a big key right there. Uh, but. This person that's talking to us is just convinced. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Bible him. Right. We'll Bible him. Good. Right. Right. We get him. I'm gonna get him saved. But we see that it's ag- like a boss fight in a video game. If I can, if I can get this guy, I win the whole level. Right. <laughs> we see that again and again and again and again. I mean, it really is a cliche. What's fascinating about that, not to cut you off, is we see it with people in ministry too. Yep. We, we particularly the three of us up here in Chicago see it at our bridge service with. Sometimes pastors do it, normally white ones, um, but even like people who are volunteering a little bit, and you'll get, hey, I brought a guy to yeah. the bridge. Oh, yeah. is it like a guy you know and you met? Like, no, nah, he was drunk on the side of the road, and I just picked him up and brought him. Now he's here. Isn't it's going to awesome? be awesome. I'm already writing the story in my head about right. how I picked <laughs> up a drunk, <laughs> right, right. high dude who never expressed anything, yeah. an interest in the Lord, and only wants the hot meal. Right. But it's going to be awesome. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I think one of the things to that point, I think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, what's our motivation here? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's good to share the gospel, but is this something where we want to be able to impress our friends at church with the story that we're telling about this, you know, because that is where a lot of this stuff of, you know, he, I mentioned the name Jesus and he, he, he spat on the ground and grew fangs. And that's, that's when I knew I had to get him saved. The truth is there are in your town right now today, there are people that are desperate for a savior and know they're desperate for a savior. People don't believe that what you just said. It's really true. It's super, super true. Um, Particularly if you live in the U S there's a jail near you. Exactly. Because we incarcerate a lot of people in the United More States. More people than China. As of today, it's official. We did it, guys. <laughs> Way to go. If you, if you go to the jailhouse and you have a chapel service and you sit down and pray with guys, these guys know they need a savior. Absolutely right. Not every one of them, but the vast majority. The guys where they say, you want to come to chapel, and they say, yes, those guys know they need a savior. Yeah. And they are very interested in a savior and would love to hear more about the saving thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, and literally, you know, this is true for all of us. We've all done prison ministry. It's a common thing to explain salvation and explain how this works and it's eternal life in paradise, free gifts, and say, you want to? They go, yeah, I do. Let's do that. That's great. Yeah. Let's let's hook it up. Right. Let's make that's that happen. Right. It's no, it's just, well, yes, obviously. That sounds great. Right. Um, but we get it in our head, A, that that can't exist. Right. You that's know, right. We, we've heard so many times, we've heard angry sounding preachers pound the pulpit and say that people need to feel the weight of their transgressions and be broken under their iniquities mm-hmm. and whatnot. And we start to believe the lie that we have to talk people into accepting that they're sinners. Right. We don't. They, we don't. They, they all know that they're sinners. Yes. Uh, they, they all know. Um, the guys in jail have the benefit of seeing the undeniable consequences of their right. sin in mm. very, very um, uh, clear ways. But everybody knows. They, they know they're sinners. But the other thing is we do want to impress our friends. We, mm. we do want to be able to write that blog post that sounds super neato about that. Key thing is to forget all of that. Let the Lord put a burden of love on your heart for people and serve them wherever they're at. 
If that's about building readiness, build readiness. If that's Mm -hmm. about laying groundwork, lay groundwork. If you happen to be the person that God uses to help usher them into the kingdom, that's great. But that's what the Bible says. The Bible says it's the role of one to sow a seed and another to water and another to harvest. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Ask Mm -hmm. God to give you a burden of love and then play the role based on where they're at today, not where you or your church friends would like them to be. Right. Amen. It's a really fantastic way to tie that up. I would add to that, just as we wrap it up here, that another similar pathology that may lead us to the to kind of looking for this is the desire to, na- as we talk about in a lot of situations, to navigate this purely by emotion. Yeah. And that is similar to wanting the cool story to tell the Bible about, but it's not really, really the same thing. It's just kind of, wow, that person really needs a savior. Yeah. we Everybody needs a savior. That's... That's kind of the whole point. That's universal. Of the whole doctrine of sin thing. But, yeah. you know, it can lead to some weird. And the, the other analog of that, which this person seems to be a, a little falling into, and we think you're doing a great thing, by the way, if we didn't say that, you know, it's awesome that you want to um, reach out to people of the Lord. It's awesome that you want to talk to your friends about it. But you will hit some closed doors like this. And particularly with friends, there's the, sure. you may have heard the uh, biblical idea of the prophet without honor in his own hometown. Mm-hmm. And, when people often always want to start sharing the Lord with people they know the most, yep, mm-hmm. that tends to mean really good friends and immediate family. And I'm sure that's worked somewhere in the human history. I've just never met not often or heard of or met anyone who's heard of that working. Like right. I not heard like, you know, Hey, I was, I got saved in high school and started going to this church and, Five years later, my parents said, hey, we it's Christmas time. We'd like to go to a church. Let's go to yours. And then they met the pastor, and then a whole thing happened. But that idea of I got saved and then went and told everybody about Jesus now, and now everybody I know gets saved, that's not a particularly normal thing. Or to Jed's point, a particularly good goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wrap this up is we always try to answer the questions you ask directly. So is it necessary to understand sin to understand Jesus? Not really. Sorry, Presbyterians. <laughs> like, and by that, I mean it's not necessary to understand the Calvinistic principles of the depravity of man and know to put the word sin to it. You sure. know, the Bible, what do we need to be saved? It says, you know, confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Sin actually doesn't uh, bleed into that at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can, you, if you think Jesus is Lord, that's good. Your sin's going to come up. Yeah. yeah. But you actually yeah. don't have to have a full understanding of that to do the salvation thing. So that's why, uh, to a point you may have heard uh, the episode about church that Glenn and I did, making fun of the Presbyterians about, and the, the, the quote is, getting them lost before you get them found. You don't actually need to do that. Everybody everybody knows they need to be found. Yeah. We can, we can just move on to that. And as we talk about a lot about witnessing stuff on the show, that's a lot easier and a lot more fun. Yeah. So, mm. Go ahead and do it that way. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously at our Tumblr inbox, and it says, Hey there, you guys rock. It's true. Correct. That's correct. I want to cut off a friendship with a friend who only brings drama and does a lot of passive-aggressive tactics. But I don't know how to start that conversation, as she throws fits when she's not invited to hangouts. (laughs) Another difficulty is that I still want to be friends with her older sibling, who is actually bullied a lot by this younger sister. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Thanks a lot. Glenn, why don't you kick us off? You bet. Uh, I think there's two things when we're dealing with uh, the, sort of this passive-aggressive type stuff and this uh, uh, this kind of uh, 
controlling uh, thing. Uh, uh, the first is to call out the tactic being used. In other words, this is a manipulation move that she's putting on. But the, the thing about manipulation is it works by um, sort of hiding a deeper truth or a deeper point. It gets you to, hey, look over here. That's what manipulation is all about. It wants to change the nature of the argument to being something else. So what, what you can do is to simply call out what that manipulation is and specify that won't work. Okay, mm. so for example, let's give you a concrete example. Uh, uh, I had sort of a uh, how can I describe it? Sort of a a distant working relationship with a, a certain individual, and he was really insecure, and he he had uh, uh, some hangups. Bless his heart. And and uh, one of his favorite phrases was, "What do you mean by that?" <laughs> And that got old. Well, Glenn, you're such an enigma. Yeah, so yeah, I know what Glenn means. Really say what you mean. Yeah, it got real old. And what, what you realize is he would try to get you feeling sort of insecure on yourself. In other words, mm -hmm. you'd say something and say, what do you mean by that? And you'd say, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't mean anything bad about it. I was just saying this. Yeah. Now, now I'm being defensive, right. and I'm I'm being like trying to defend. You're kind of him. subtly acknowledging that he is the wronged party, and you are the aggressor. right. And after he did this about three times, I I, I gave the universal signal for uh, timeout for timeout, and and I said or technical foul, either are appropriate. Either, and I said, my brother, here's what you're doing. You are accusing me of being passive aggressive. You're accusing me of not saying what I really mean uh, so that whatever I say, you are assuming, you're asserting to me that I am. I have something hidden that I'm saying that I don't have the courage to, tell to you. look you in the eye and tell you. Mm -hmm. um, there's two things I want you to know about that. One, I say what I mean, and I mean exactly what I say. I don't stutter, and I'm not in any way intimidated by you such that I would have any problems with telling you what's going on. That's thing number one I want to tell you. Here's thing number two I want to tell you. This is not going to work. You are not going to manipulate me into feeling as though I need to apologize or something yep. to you uh, or, or to defend myself to you so that you can then forgive me and you can paint yourself as the victim in this situation. You are not uh, being mistreated. No one is speaking in oblique terms with you, and no one's saying anything unpleasant to you. You'll know when I'm saying something unpleasant, because it'll sound something like this, where I'm using a really aggressive tone and looking you in the face <laughs> in this way. With these buggity eyes. With these buggity eyes. and you know. Glenn does not do passive aggression. He does do aggressive aggression. <laughs> That's right. And so I told him, "That's not going to. I see what you're doing. It's not going to work." And for passive aggressive people, manipulative people, um, as they say in the South, that dog won't hunt. Yeah, yep. they, you. They realize it just pops the bubble. They realize they won't work that. 
people who are on a manipulation move, again, uh, and I don't want to vilify it, people who, who do manipula manipulation do that out of insecurity. They do it out of fear. They do it out of a feeling of inadequacy within themselves. What they really need to do is just calm down and be themselves and just let it be. You know. Well, particularly for young people, they do it because that's the way they've seen relationships modeled. Yeah. That's right. So... So I'm not talking about being mean or being angry with a person. Really, what I'm talking about is cutting it off before you get angry. Just right. cut it to the quick. I know what you're doing. You're doing this. That's not going to work on me. I am not going to feel sorry for you. The end. You are not a pitiful person. Therefore, I do not take pity on you. Don't try and sell yourself as a victim. I'm not victimizing you. Over and done. That's not going to happen. Second thing we want to look at is to ignore a passive-aggressive tone and yeah. attitude. Just don't you know? buy into it. Don't buy into it. If I say, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Great. Okay, Great. Sound cool. Good. Glad to hear it, because your face looked like you weren't doing fine, but if you're doing fine, you wouldn't lie to me, so cool. I'm just glad to hear it, man. Just That's why I was asking. All right, and then we're moving on. Yep. I, I want to send a clear message. If you tell me in clear language openly expressing this is what my problem is with you, then I'll pay attention to that and we'll have a discussion on it. But this passive-aggressive tactic, this tactic of telling somebody else what you don't like about my behavior, those kind of yeah. moves, I am not going to respond to yeah. that. I'm not going to dignify that with a response. I'm going to ignore that it exists. I will only take you talking to me directly. Because, again, this is a, 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 a fear of... Of uh, of being vulnerable is mm. why we do these kinds mm. of things, and we want to draw a hard boundary, and we want to to push back on this and say mm. this is inappropriate. But we're doing that sort of quickly and assertively with the goal that we'll stop it before it gets out of control. Mm. Because once it gets out of control, all hope of friendship is gone. All right. hope of this person regrouping themselves is gone. If you can sort of nip it in the bud that way then that gives the person a chance to kind of say, okay, since this won't work and this person's still nice to me, maybe there's another way to go mm. with this. I think you're absolutely right. And Lee, maybe if you can take us a little further inside having that conversation, getting into it, having it, and getting out of it. Yeah, one thing, uh, well, first of all, I completely agree with all that stuff that Glenn was saying on that. And, uh, and I would say just rewind that and listen again. That is Awesome, awesome, and a lot of cool practical stuff in there. One thing I love about the way you phrase the question is that you're directly asking us, how do I start the conversation? In other words, you already know you need to have the conversation. You're not afraid to have the conversation. You're going to have the conversation, and that's awesome because a lot of people would not ever, ever do it. So uh, I think that's really cool that you're saying, how do I start this? I'm, I'm going to do it. I know I need to do it. I'm going to do it. One of the things that, that we can look at with people that are misbehaving is that you can, uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit like a Jedi mind trick, but you can use encouragement to call someone to their higher self in such a way that you can say, hey, look, we need to have a conversation. And for a lot of people, this would be really, really hard to do because they would get you know insecure and defensive and they wouldn't be able to do this well. But I know that you can do this well. And I know that we can do this hard conversation well because our friendship means a lot to the both of us. And I, I and I know that we're going to be able to do this. We're going to. I'm going to have to say some difficult stuff to hear, but I know that we can do this. And sometimes when you actually kind of 
when you kind of uh, shoot an arrow out there of like, this is what I, this is a, a higher thing that that's going to be difficult to do, but I know we can do it. People can sense, you know, they can feel that encouragement and feel like, you know what, I am going to do that. I, I, I can actually hit that mark. And I think that might be a good way to kind of start this whole thing out. You're, it's not that you're not going to say the thing. You're going to say it all, say it directly, all that kind of stuff. But if you can kind of set the tone by saying, I know that you can do this well. I know that you can do this without kind of insecurity and defensiveness. I know that we can do this like a couple of adults and like a couple of friends. It can kind of set the tone for what it could be. And the other thing I would say, just one more quick thing, is say the last 10%. This is a, this is a problem that a lot of people have in confrontation, which is I've got 100% of something that I need to say, and 90% of it is pretty easy to say. It's that last 10% that's the awkward, that's the most difficult thing to say, but I'm, I don't want to back out of that. I don't want to chicken yep. out of that. I want to mm. say all of it. I know that's yeah. going to be the hardest thing for you to hear, but I'm going to say the very last. I don't want to leave anything unsaid because that's probably where the infection is, and I don't want to, you know, sort of clean up and not get all the infected stuff out because it'll fester later. So, whatever that is, and you can and I'm telling you, when you're in the middle of a confrontation, you can feel where that line is, where you want to, it feels like it's going good, we're getting somewhere, but there's one more piece, I just don't know if I've got the courage to say it, but it's kind of the heart and soul of the whole thing. Say all of it, say the whole 100%, deal with all of it, or you will have to have the whole thing again later. Yeah, amen. That's absolutely true, and Jed, if you close out this, maybe by taking a look at um, the realities of, we hope it doesn't happen, obviously, a lot of what Glenn and Lee have been saying here is on the we're going to have this conversation, and if it goes well, then it goes well. We're doing right. great. Well, there's maintenance. And there's, hey, I, you know, you're trying to be passive-aggressive, and I told you to do that. But let's um, look at the kind of nightmare scenario that scares everybody off this, which is basically I'm going to have to tell this person, I don't. if you're, if you're going to be this way, I don't want to hang out with you. Yeah. So what, what's the reality of doing that in a quote-unquote Christian way? It's a great question. I fully back everything both Lee and Glenn said. I think part of it, I like Lee's point a lot about saying the last 10%. Um, being able to say, you act in a really uncool way, and when you act that way, I don't want to hang out with you. And if you're going to keep acting that way in the future, I'm not going to hang out with you. That is the last 10% that you don't want to have to say. Mm-hmm, right, and sure. that's a, and that's actually the one part you do need to say. Yeah. That, yeah. And, and, and to not couch it. In other words, mm-hmm. you know, your, your instinct is probably to say, hey, sometimes it right. kind of feels like maybe... Right. Like and you, I'm probably being oversensitive to that. And I, it's probably just me. You probably don't mean anything by it. You kill right. all of that. That yeah. last ten percent is you act uncool. Full stop. Right. Um, right. I don't like it. Full stop. Right. I will not put up with it. Full stop. Right. Um, you, you do need to say that. Yeah. Uh, in mm-hmm. plain, unadorned, unavoidable, um, unmistakable language. Now it's possible that she will freak all the way out and throw a fit of epic proportions. There's a couple things on that. The first, I can't agree enough with Glenn on, you need to make it clear with your words, but also with your body language, that crap doesn't work on me. Right. Yep. Um, you, you Throw a fit as hard as you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't change anything. That's right. Um, you know, uh, and uh, so help me, uh, I'll chew you out on the spot if that's what it needs to be. Um, um, think 
a parent who is telling their toddler, cry all you want, we're not buying the toy. Exactly right. right. right just right. that's not what's happening here. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, so, uh, but, but again, that's words and body language. Uh, you, and you need to decide before you go into that conversation, uh, that's what I'm on. Um, I'm not. I'm not waiting to see how they react to know where I stand. Where I stand is I'm not putting up with this. That's why we're having this conversation. And that's where this kind of worst case scenario kind of thought experiment can really help. Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. go into a thing. It's probably going to go great. Exactly. Right. That's really the only option is that they are going to thank me for pointing out how they've been uncool and it's going to be awesome because then you're going to get blindsided by actual human behavior. Absolutely right. right. But I think part of what can help you with this a bit is um, if you'll if you'll forgive me, you know, being slightly detail focused here, you know, you described her as a friend. I don't think she's a friend. Right. The reason I say that is friendship requires trust and vulnerability. Yeah. And you actually can't have that with a manipulative, bullying, controlling person. Right. Uh, you, right. you can't have vulnerability or trust. Uh, so she may be a person with whom you have a relationship. She may be an acquaintance. She may be an associate. She's not a friend. Right. Um, you're not actually ending a friendship. You're, you're ending an unhealthy relationship. Those mm-hmm. are two very different things. Yeah. And in fact, the only chance that you could have a friendship with her in the future rests on this confrontation. Right. Um, uh, without a change in her behavior, she's not going to have a friendship with you or with anyone. Right. Um, and we may want to look at the fact that she lives a friendless existence. She doesn't yeah. have friends. This is what we're talking uh, about. She, she has victims. Yeah, that's uh, the way bullies she, are. She has marks. That's, yeah. that's what her world consists of. Um, you, by being willing to confront her again, if you say the last 10% and you say with your words and your body language, this stuff doesn't work on me. Don't try mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're giving her her best chance at friendship. Mm-hmm. At entering, whether it's with you or not, entering into a space where uh, she can make some changes. And that leads to the last thing I'd say, which is, unfortunately, I'd, I'd love to tell you the Disney version and say, probably it'll be great. And probably she'll you know, say, you're right. And blah, blah, blah. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it super does not. Right. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I hope yours is the positive version. But this is the key thing. Sometimes you have to be cruel to be kind. If you'll tell her the straight deal, you act uncool, I'm not going to put up with it, she may freak out in the moment, she may deep-six her relationship with you permanently, but that seed can still bear good fruit in her life down the road. Because she may reach a point where she, she sees a few more relationships tank based on her bad behavior, and then she remembers, you know, Cindy told me. She told me back in the day I was acting the fool, and that's why people weren't going to want to hang out with me. Right, she right. told me. And it, it took a long time for me to be able to see it, mm-hmm. but, I, but now I can. Yeah. I, I can finally begin to see it. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's weird to say we, on a somewhat regular basis, hear from people that we haven't heard from in years, and they've called to say, you were right. That's it. You told me a lot of stuff I did not want to hear, yeah. and I know I, I acted crazy off of you, you know, saying, but I needed to hear it, and you were yeah. right, and I'm thankful yeah. you did, and I can see things differently now. Um, sometimes that happens, but the key thing, this is the most important thing, brings in for a landing, is um, the only way you lose is by not having this conversation. And by continuing to put up with misbehavior, there's an outcome that we hope for, which is immediate change, immediate repentance. We hope that happens. But no matter what the outcome is, you are better off and she is better off with you having unmistakably asserted good, healthy boundaries. One last thing, just to follow up on one thing that Jeb was saying is 
sometimes that person will call you back, uh, you know, years later, exactly like Jed is saying, say, you know, you were the one that, that told me the hard thing I wanted to hear. Here's the thing. If that never happens, which a lot of times it super doesn't happen, like yep. Jed's saying, if that doesn't happen, it doesn't mean you were wrong to confront them. Nope. And you've right. got to be prepared for a certain amount of emotions that's going to accompany this conversation. This is right. not going to be this is not going to be easy on you. It's going to be taxing emotionally. It's going to feel sucky to have this conversation. And in the aftermath of it, especially if they burn the world down when you tell it to them, it's going to feel like what did I do? What did I do? Hang tight through those emotions because and and let that stuff burn off because this is exactly the right thing to do however they respond. Amen. That's a great point. A couple of quick things I would uh, button this with. One is to kind of uh, combine a couple of elements we talked about there. And uh, what Lee and Jed were saying about that last 10% and going the whole hog is absolutely true. Pardon me. It's also um, combinable with what Glenn was talking about a little bit with calling someone their higher self. And it sounds like, it may sound like those are kind of couching each other, bouncing each other out, but they really don't. You can say to someone, you seem to think that. I only want to hang out with you when you pitch drama fits. That's actually when I don't want to hang out with you. I think you're a cool yep. person. I think you have lots to offer. So I would love to hang out with you. But when you do the past progressive drama thing, um, that I won't put up with. Yeah. yeah. So you can kind yeah. of uh, pick. Yeah, that's, that's right. Good. That's which true. is an important skill, and it's important. Uh, we always kind of talk about this, especially we have to do a lot of com- we have to do a lot of confronting at the bridge, um, leaving the ball in their court, saying, yep. "This is this is how this is, and it's up to you." I'm yeah. telling you, I, I, there are, you are, I think there are a lot of positives about you and there's uh, circumstances under which I'd love to be friends and be friendly and do this stuff, but the current situation isn't one of them. And that's kind of how that is. The other thing that may not seem that Christian, but it's actually fine and a piece of good strategy is to, um, we don't, we're not uh, putting out forward gossip or that idea, but it's not the worst thing to go to the, uh, the older sister and say, so Susie's kind of driving us all nuts with the pitch and the fits, right? I'm not yeah. making that up. And when you get a little, um, yeah, that's actually, that can further, can kind of give you some confidence going into a confrontation and in a slightly Game of Thrones evil way. Absolutely. It can make you clear that if Susie does wig all the way out, um, there are some people who are going to uh, want to hang out with you instead of her. Yeah, right. which again, I mean, that's not the most Christian part, but hey, as long as we're, you know, Je- Jesus said, "Be as innocent as doves, as wise as serpents." Yeah, we figure, you, we figure you get the innocent advice other places, so we're going to kind of lean into the other part of that. And one last thing on this, and we we talk a lot about the podcast, and Glenn has a a ministry principle called you know the real and the ideal. We're at the real; we got to work towards the ideal. Um, you're hearing advice from four grown men who work in pretty intense ministry situations <laughs> where there's a lot of conflict. Yeah. And yeah. four grown men who, at least three of them, who live in Chicago, have personalities that lead to a lot of private life <laughs> confrontation. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually kind of uncompromising folk yeah. up here in this barren tundra. <laughs> so you're hearing a lot of kind of, you, you've come to uh, the 12th degree black belts and asked, what do I do if someone grabs my wrist? So you've gotten a lot of stuff here. So on all that to say, if you're in, if you're in high school, if you're in whatever, and it's one of those things of, hey, I hear you. That all sounds like that, but I've never done this before. I don't want everybody on the field hockey team to be mad at me. I don't know. That doesn't mean you're bad at this. That yeah. doesn't. It's not cowardice. Take these principles, and if there, if you got a little time where you feel like, I really feel like I have to go along to get along here. Um, it's not ideal. That's not what we would tell you to do. But 
that doesn't actually mean anything about your uh, commitment to living a godly and happy life. You're going to have to have confrontations, but that does often start with baby steps. And we want to be cognizant of things that we're, uh, we have, we have a very specific view on the world, <laughs> mm-hmm. very specific way of doing things. And, uh, the principles are all there, but we want to make sure we're filtering that through kind of a palatable, uh, way. So we're going to jump to our last question here, came into our email address and it says, so I'm coming up against a new challenge and I don't where don't know where to go on this thing. My dad is a pastor and recently stepped down from his lead pastor role at a church he's been at for five years. He chose to step down because of some behind-the-scenes stuff, and now his quote-unquote friends are coming out with a lot of smack talk, and it's getting ugly. My sister and I have left the church, too, and we've decided that we don't want to follow our dad to whatever, whatever church he ends up pastoring at next. But that means we have to find a new church home. Where do we start? There's a lot of crappy options and nothing we're too excited about. Whether it's good preaching but no fellowship or good fellowship but the teaching is weak. And the whole thing kind of seems like it stinks. Can you help? So uh, Glenn and I actually did a whole episode last week on kind of looking at this stuff. But this question came into the inbox, and I was really uh, glad that we got an opportunity to bring uh, Jed and Lee in on this. So, Jed, you actually have some experience with your dad being a pastor yeah. and kind of the church politics stuff. So why don't you start us off here? I can do that. I'm so sorry for the difficulty. Um, I am a preacher's kid, and that's a tough spot to be in normally, and it's a super tough spot when this kind of stuff's going on. And I'm sorry for it. Um, unfortunately, the meanest people in the world all go to church. Uh, most of them, <laughs> most of them sit on the leadership committee. So um, I'm yeah. I'm sorry for it. I can relate. Uh, the thing that I would encourage you uh, to to look at is that. You have a couple separate needs, but they don't all have to be met in the same place. Um, and I think a lot of the trouble we, f- we find with kind of trying to find a church, a church home is trying to get all of those needs met all in one-stop shopping. I don't think that works very often. Mm-hmm. So, for example, it, you need at least these three things. You need fellowship, you need an opportunity to serve, and you need some combination of teaching and equipping and spiritual feeding. Okay, Every Christian needs those, those three things. Um, in an ideal world, you would find a church that does all of those, um, gives you all three of those things. And if you can find it, good on you. I think that's great. There are not very many churches out there that actually really get it done on all three of those things all at once. And they might get it done for other people, and they do, it just happens to not be a good uh, fit for you. So... The thing I would encourage you to look at is say you need all three of those. None of those are things that we can live without, but that we probably want to start by saying, what is a good place I can get fellowship? What is a good place where I can serve? That doesn't need to be the same place. Mm-hmm. That's, that's okay. What's a good place where I can get fed? That doesn't need to be the same place as the other two. That's that's okay too. Mm-hmm. You know, to give an example, with our, with our ministry here, um, uh, you know, we have our bridge service on Tuesday nights, which is wonderful and fantastic. It's the most amazing thing in the world. And that's the place that I go and serve. That's, you know, that's my opportunity to serve. I'm not really getting fellowship at the bridge because I'm running around like a maniac the entire time, you know, trying to, to keep that service going. I get fellowship actually on Sunday nights when our staff all gets together. Um, and, you know, we hang out and we cut up and, you know, talk details and whatnot. But that's actually not. I don't. I get some feeding at the bridge. It was amazing, world class preaching. But again, with the running around like a maniac, I you know I'm a little distracted. I'm more likely to get my feeding on a Saturday night at midnight when Glenn and I are grabbing a hamburger and talking about life and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, in this case, all three of those things are they're a part of the same ecosystem. Um, so you know we'd be inclined to say, well, it's kind of all one thing, but it's not. 
those are three very, very separate things um, that, that are accomplishing different goals, right? I think where we would get into trouble is we would say, I want a Sunday morning church service that gives me good fellowship and feeds me and lets me serve. Those are pretty hard to find. Again, if, if you can find one, that's great. That's, that's wonderful. It's fantastic. If you can't, don't let that discourage you. You know, create your own solution. Figure out, you know, where are you going to find each of those three things? Um, and we'd love to help. Uh, if, you, if you want to send us a little bit more information about your situation, we'd, we'd love to, to connect you with um, some, some good options for each of those in your area. But that, that's where I'd start. Yeah, it's a fantastic point. Lee, uh, why don't you kind of expand on some of that stuff? Obviously, you're in charge of putting on church services, so you spend a fair amount of time thinking about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm thankful for, you know, as a person that works in church, I'm thankful to, to hear the way that Jed's talking about it. And, it's, and, and it would be, you know, having that kind of mindset is good because it depressurizes some of that that church experience, you know. I mean, as somebody that does run that kind of stuff, you know, the idea that this, we have to, you know, have something that feeds every single person completely full every single week. I mean, that's just... You know that that just make your mind explode, and so uh, the the thing that I would say on this is um, is that as you're st- as you're first of all first of all uh, super sorry about what happened with your dad the way that that kind of stuff hurts um, I, I you know I hate that for you going to be praying for you about that but as you're looking for kind of a new start in church I'd say a few things one is um, and I make no apologies about this start at small churches yeah, Go yeah. There first yeah. Uh, I'm sure that. Well, I'm not even sure that they're great big ones. Um, just go to small churches, start there. Um, it's it's a totally different thing. The lo and behold, the the people in ministry will know your name. That's uh, has an amazing impact on the kind of ministry that they can do for you, the way that they can serve you, the way that they can care about you. Start at a small church, um, and. Uh, the uh, the you know there's there's a certain amount of kind of hype and swagger that comes with big churches and a lot of people feel like well this looks so shiny and pretty it must be awesome um, but that really has nothing to do with what makes something awesome at all especially when ministry is about actually serving somebody the yep. second thing I would do is uh, is that wherever you go uh, find some way to serve in that place, even if it's not, obviously what Jed's talking about, I mean, he is, he runs the the bridge service. So, you know, when he's talking about running around, you know, like, like crazy and, you know, this is, I mean, I, I've seen the man do that. This is, we're not talking about serving a capacity where you're running the whole thing. I'm talking about, you know, be the guy that goes early and makes the coffee or advances the slides in the worship service or, you know, cleans up trash after the thing is over. Find a, you know, find some way that you can be a help there because there's a few things about that. One, you were made to serve people and you're going to be happier when you do it. Number two, Mm -hmm. you're going to meet people that way. You're going to meet people, make friends, talk to folks, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and and those are all positive. The last thing I would say, and as somebody that, that works at a church, um, I, I would say this with like, just with, you know, begging, you know, I would almost beg people, don't just go to one and then, and then say, you know, that place, they just never did anything for me. That's great. And, you know, if that's the way you feel about it, but the the way that as somebody that actually works in a church, what I would say is go to things. Like if, if a bunch of us are going to hang out and, you know, fry some fish or something like that, go to the fish fry thing. If we're gonna yeah. go watch a you know watch a a, a movie uh, you know together and the thing, 
come hang out with us. Like find a small group, get involved with it, get some friends, come be a part of the life of the thing. If you're going to try one out, jump in there and get some friends, make some lunch dates after the service with the people that you meet when you're taking out the trash or whatever. Get some friends, actually get some community and and take a, you know, a, a positive role, a, a, you know, a, a on purpose step in getting some connections made in there. So go to a small place, find a little way for you to serve in there, and then go to the stuff. Go to the community group, go to the little hangout stuff, and get some friends in there and see if that doesn't get you started on a good footing. Amen. It's really good stuff. And Glenn, obviously I would encourage uh, folks to go back last week and listen to uh, the kind of church special we did and get some a lot of your expanded thoughts on that. But anything you want to throw in here real quick? Yeah, just as we touched on in that, that uh, special... Uh, uh, starting with good doctrines, essentially, you don't want to yeah. find a church uh, that's got uh, bad doctrine. That's just going to complicate what's going on. If you're not sure how to find a church with good doctrine, just uh, email Matt back, and he can give you details on that. For sure. Um, uh, I think I agree with everything these guys are saying. And with this story in in particular, I think you want to prioritize body life. In other words, fellowship. You want to. Uh, th- I think that's what you're you're what you're missing, what you're looking for. Uh, to find that you're going to do much better in smaller churches, as Lee is pointing out. I think you'll also do better in churches that have more poor people yep. in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there tends to be uh, more uh, intense uh, body life in those churches, uh, and so I think that that would again be a, a, a more likely payoff there. Uh, don't settle uh, uh, while you're looking. Don't say, well, this is, I, I, you know, I hear a lot of this, uh, well, there's no place that's perfect, so I, I guess I'll just settle for this. Well, wait a second. Is it meeting the need or not? Mm-hmm. If it's not, keep moving. Uh, and uh, sometimes that can really be a long, painful process, but uh, unfortunately, uh, it, it's necessary to get to a place where you're really going to get what you need. Uh, but I agree with what these guys are saying. You know, one of the things you mention is uh, uh, some of these churches having weak teaching and so that might indicate to us that your father was more of a teaching pastor and you used to uh, more uh, of a teaching style when we work with uh, churches uh, one of the things we try and stress to the pastors is you need a time as part of your church life where we're doing just straight bible just bible Mm -hmm. knowledge bible aptitude just what does the bible say period and there's a, another part of this uh, life of the church where we need to talk about how do I apply this Bible to my life? Mm-hmm. All too many pastors out there want to do the what does the Bible say part in the pulpit. Right. So, so it's really a Bible lecture that they're giving. Well, either they want to or that's all they know how to do. But that's the functionally thing. the same thing. That's the thing is they do that on Sunday and they say, well, we'll have Sunday school class for the rest of that. And the Sunday school class is three people who are hearing you give a Bible lecture uh, on a different part of the Bible or something. There's They're never, a more obscure part of the Bible. Yeah, there's no life application happening anywhere in here. Uh, and yet that's what you are looking for. That's, that's what you're craving. But one of the interesting kind of side notes of that is we talk to the pastors about ask yourself, uh, whether it might be better to learn about the Bible in a small group environment, just mm-hmm. by basic Bible aptitude, where you can ask questions, get further clarification, get different perspectives, 
do a deeper dive if you need to in that moment. Uh, I think there's a, 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 a there's a lot of benefit to having a pastor who's preaching life application from the pulpit. Sure. Because there's a moment when he says, here's a struggle. I don't know if you can relate, but here's a struggle I have. If 80% of the room goes, ah, yeah, yeah, I got that, yeah. Then if you're one of those people that has that problem and you hear 80% of the rest of the people sound off and be vulnerable and say they have that problem too, you just lost a hundred pounds off your soul, dude. I mean, that's like, oh God, I'm not the only one. You know, yeah. there's a huge benefit to that. Not saying it's the only way to get it done, but if you're, what I would say is, can we find a, a, a church where that life application stuff is happening in the pulpit, and uh, and then uh, if it's a little weak on teaching, as you say. Uh, maybe there's a Bible study that I can get into and maybe get a little fellowship off that as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You're hearing a lot of good stuff there. Um, one of the things we would just uh, point out is uh, looking for church sucks. Yeah, yes. it's hard, man. Um, yeah. Most churches are not fantastically pleasant experiences every Sunday. <laughs> right. That's about the most diplomatic way I can think to put that. Right. Um, as Glenn has pointed out many times on the show, you know, the basic tenets of church are you get up relatively early on a Sunday morning, put on nicer, slightly itchier clothes than you would want to be wearing, and go to a building full of people. If you're a certain kind of person, which I am, um, even if it is a great church and people you love and a place you want to be, that's not yeah, that's a bit of ideal. A yeah. <laughs> not an ideal circumstance. So all that to say, just because you're like, you know, it's, it kind of sucks to looking at churches— that's going to happen. That's That doesn't right. mean anything wrong with you. Also, it doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with these churches. Right. You're leaving a church that you like, that you sounds like you've been around for a while, that your dad was the pastor at. So to walk into a place and be like, this is kind of what feels forward and weird, um, that makes sense. Well, let's say you might want to give uh, places a second go or something, but mm-hmm. all these guys are giving you, and again, if you go back last week and listen to the more in-depth conversation Glenn and I have, it's good to have some kind of loose checklist stuff, rubric stuff to keep the fact that it's, I don't want to be awake. I don't want to be here. I want to be in my old church with people not being mean mm-hmm. to my dad. That's what I want. So, but right. it helps to have a little kind of, okay, this is good. This is bad. I like this to have kind of your shopping list helps you keep your, your head on straight and not just uh, see it all as misery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Trying to not end the show and comparing church to misery, but that kind of feels like this show. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that can't be good. All right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com. The Bridge I like Chicago. To keep it positive. Absolutely. Tumblr.com. I know you do. Safe for the ears in the back seat. Talking Zig Ziglar up in this piece. Let's do it. Yeah, if you like to, uh, if you're someone who's wronged us, you'd like to apologize. 1 900, say that. <laughs> Don't call that number. That might be your old number. It's probably not something you want. I should have gotten the 5 5. Five route? Dog I did not. Dig nine hundred. I'm gonna take out the song this week. This is this is a song Jed wrote for Outlaw Bikers. Woo! It's rock and form that. It's called You Always Have My Back. We're gonna take out that. Thanks for listening. This we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. January first, 2016. A date that will live in infamy. <laughs> this means war, Osteen. <laughs> well, I've been running around, but you ran out after me. But you are always loyal to me Jesus, you're the one Who always has my back Even when I go and treat you bad 
You know I cannot hide 